Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is August the 14th, and we are continuing our study through the book of Acts. Let's see, last time we were together, we, uh, let's see, we uh, were looking at verses, uh, chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. And we saw James and the church at Jerusalem agreeing that Paul, agreeing with Paul that the Gentiles should not be forced to come under the law by circumcision, but it did decide that it would be best if they avoided some things that would cause their Jewish brethren to stumble. And to this end, a letter was issued. So today... Uh, we're going to pick up our study in verse uh, 23, 24. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, Acts 15, verse number 22. Then it pleased, then it pl then pleased at the apostles and the elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely J Judas, Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among. The brethren, of course, we've already established these are Jewish believers from the Jewish church there in Jerusalem, meaning they were kingdom believers. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and the elders and the brethren send greeting unto the brethren. Uh, let me start my little clock here. Uh, unto the brethren, which are Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So... Notice the letter is addressed to the brethren, which are of the Gentiles. So here we do see that um, the, gen the, church at Anti at the church in Jerusalem has come into an agreement in regards to the validity of the gospel of grace that Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. And notice in uh, verse 24, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words. And you remember we already established that these were even Jewish. These were not only, remember we, we separated uh, believing Jews from unbelieving Jews. Uh, the believing Jews were those who had accepted the kingdom message. And they are the ones, believing Jews, well-intentioned, uh, told the Gentiles that, you know, if you respond to the gospel, you're going to have to be circumcised. That's what started the whole council here in Jerusalem, was the requirement that the Gentiles come under the law. So they were well-meaning. Um, and he says, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us, from the church in Jerusalem, have troubled you with words, subverting your souls. Uh, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So the council denies sending out any words that indicate that the Gentiles should be circumcised and keep the law. So remember, not only was the issue of circumcision on the table, it was whether or not they literally needed to be proselytized as previous Gentiles into Judaism. And so the council has decided that this is not necessary. So um, if anyone tells you that, it didn't come from us. Then notice in verse number 25, 
It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. Now, in in ecclesiology, and I think I mentioned this last time, um, this verse they will use to point to the autonomy of the local New Testament church. Remember, we've already talked about a couple of things. Missiology, they were sent out by the Church of Antioch. They were accountable to the Church of Antioch. Therefore, they came back and gave a report to the Church of Antioch. Uh, remember, we talked about how some will look at that and say that all missionary activity needs to go through the local New Testament church. And thus, you know, people who have that frame of mind will will scorn parachurch organizations who take that upon themselves. Now, I personally believe that that the local New Testament church should be the sending agency. Uh, that's why the organization that I work with, even though they're a teacher going to China or going to Kuala Lumpur, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, they still are sent out as missionaries from their home church. So what we want before we even begin the hiring process is a letter of recommendation from their pastor and the leadership of their church. So I do agree that all missionary activity needs to be conducted in and through the local New Testament church when you talk about missiology. And now, in regards to ecclesiology, I believe that the local New Testament church is autonomous. They can move. I mean, sometimes they'll join together in uh, associations or fellowships, but still, when it comes to it, uh, the local New Church, New Testament Church, is governed by themselves, um, and and I believe the Bible does point more to a congregational style um, of um, of governance. Uh, but you know, there's others, you know, that uh, that are there as well. And we've already talked about plurality and the elders and things like that. So I'm not going to go back down that road, but. Uh, this verse indicates the autonomy of the local church. And these men that they had chosen were to be eyewitnesses for everyone who questioned Paul and Barnabas's accounts of the events. Because bear in mind, they're going back. They've already been challenged by not only unbelieving Jews, but even by believing Jews saying, you know, these guys need to be circumcised. They need to fall under the law. And now they're going to go back and say, no, the, the, the Church of Jerusalem, they agreed with us. So, so to avoid uh, them being challenged or questioned or the authenticity of their witness, they sent uh, these two guys with them, uh, Judas and Silas, so that they can confirm by mouth all things that happened at the council that took place in Jerusalem. Now notice verse number 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now again, these things are not necessary for salvation. That's not what they're saying, but they are, as he said back in verse number 21, um, remember back in verse 21, he said, um, for Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues 
every Sabbath. So the all the Jewish believers who were sitting in the synagogues every Sabbath were hearing were hearing the law of Moses preached. So what he's saying here is that we want these things to be uh, preached um, for the benefit of those who are kingdom believers who are setting under the law of Moses every week uh, so that uh, they understand um, what's going on. Uh, let me get back to my, my commentary here. Here it is. Uh, the council simply believed, um, let's see, boy, I've got a lot here, don't I? Again, these things are not necessary for salvation, but they are, as he said in verse 21, that the Jewish believers who sit in the synagogues where the law of Moses is preached be not offended, um, which obviously means that they are acknowledging that the kingdom believers are still under the law of Moses, but the Gentile, the, the new grace believers, are not under the law of Moses. So, for the life of me, and I don't know how I missed this for so many years, I, I just, you know, I guess, again, we, we go to the scripture with a lens. We see what we've been taught to see. Um, I mean, obviously, he's saying, you know, that the kingdom believers are still sitting under the law of Moses, you know, every Sabbath in the synagogues. But obviously, these new Gentile believers are not, which means obviously they're hearing something different. And that's the whole point of this letter. And then he begins to list out the things that uh, they need to, that, that are considered to be necessary. Notice in verse 29, that you abstain from, from meats offered to idols, number one, and from blood, number two, and from things strangled, number three, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you, you will do well, fare you well. Okay, and so these include... We think you need to abstain from meats. Now, again, the reason you're doing this is because of the Jewish believers who are sitting in the synagogues every Sabbath under the law of Moses, so that you not bring offense to them and therefore hinder your ministry. That's what they're saying. He's saying you need to abstain from meats. You need to abstain from things that have been offered to idols. You need to abstain from blood, and you need to abstain from things that are strangled and from fornication. Uh, why these things specifically? Because all of these things would offend their Jewish brothers in such a way that it might hinder both of them in their ministries. In other words, it might create such conflict between the two. So he's saying it would be best if you abstain from these things. Again, he's not talking about salvation here. He's just talking about possible points of conflict that could cause a problem, just as it already has caused a problem when these Jewish believers told the, the believers at Antioch that they needed to be circumcised. Um, all of these would offend their Jewish brothers. Now, in regards to meats, Paul addressed this further in 1 Corinthians when he said, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know uh, that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is none other God but one. And again, Corinthians, Paul is, you know, addressing Gentile believers. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in the earth, or there be gods or lords, many, but to us there's only but one God, the Father in whom are all things, and we in him, and one in the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things, 
and by and we by him, howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing that's been offered to the idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So obviously he's referring to, I believe, the Jewish believers that would be defiled by eating that thing that was sacrificed to that idol. Um, and he says, But meat commendeth us not to God, for, for neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we worse. But take heed lest by any means that this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those that are weak. So again, that goes back to the letter. Uh, he, they want the Gentile believers not to offend those that are weak. And I don't think the word weak necessarily means that they're spiritually inferior. It just means that that is a point of stumbling for them. I'm weak in some things and you're weak in some things. Things that cause me to stumble may not cause you to stumble and vice versa. And he says, take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which hath not knowledge, sit at meat in a idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to the idols, and through through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? So Paul addressed this later on. They were just issues of stumbling. Um, the council was concerned that this freedom that had been questioned be a, a, uh, a means of stumbling to the Jewish believers. So they said, you know, abstain from eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Now in regards to blood, blood in, to the Jew was seen, was, was about the, the sanctity, the sanctity of life. Uh, in Leviticus seventeen fourteen, for it is for it, it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the you shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. So the Jews saw it as an issue of the sanctity of life, as per the Old Testament. And some would say that the strangling, the prohibition here on strangling, was a violation of that sanctity uh, because they were required to let the blood out of an animal, you know, to cut its throat and allow the blood to drain and the animal to die. But the strangling was killing the animal without draining its blood, so it was a violation of that sanctity. Now, in regards to fornication, and the, this, this, this speaks of all sexual sins. So these are the four things that the council in Jerusalem decided that are necessary for these Gentile believers so that they would not put a stone of stumbling in front of their, their fellow or, or in front of their, their, the Jewish brethren. Uh, the council simply believed that if the Gentiles would guard against these things, uh, it would make their ministry easier. And fellowship between the two uh, would not be hindered. So, you know, that makes sense. (laughs) And understand, this whole conversation began over the issue of circumcision, uh, which, which they said was a requirement of salvation. That has now been ruled out, okay? 
And these burdens are these necessary things, these four things were considered so that ministry could continue. Uh, an example of this will be found later um, when Paul actually asked Timothy to become circumcised. And again, we're it's it's the same it's it's the same thing. Uh, Timothy's lack of circumcision was a stumbling block, and it was a hindrance to the ministry. Uh, in Acts 16, 1-3, they came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, uh, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So, Paul didn't ask and have Timothy be circumcised for his salvation, but so that his lack of circumcision would not be a stumbling block in, in their ministry. Um, I, you know, I've talked to young, I talk to young people most of the time. I, I rarely talk to someone my own age or older than me. Um, and when I talk to them about their ministry, I, I encourage them, don't do anything that might reflect on your ministry. Um, you know, one of the big conversations that I have is, you know, uh, you know the way you dress. Uh, it can be a hindrance to your, man, your ministry. I remember one time I was at a church and we interviewed uh, this awesome guy to be our youth pastor, and uh, he was just excellent. I mean, he was great with the kids. He had a, a great relationship with the Lord. Um, he was a single guy, which, you know, I, I personally would rather have youth uh, people in youth ministry be married. That's my own dithers there. You can do what you want with that, but I think uh, it's better to represent the marriage, which is what they should all aspire to. Also, it keeps out a little bit of the temptation that might be there. A lot of youth ministries are destroyed over that. Um, but anyway, I mean, in the end, you know, everybody felt this guy was a very strong candidate. And so he had his night with the youth. Well, you know, the next week, office is flooded with concerned parents. He's great with the kids. He's, he's uh, great with the handling of the word. He's great with the parents. But he was tatted up. He showed up at the youth group wearing a T-shirt, and his arms were tattooed, you know. And some of the parents had some very strong um, leanings in that regard and were offended by the tattoos. Um, so, in essence, what had happened is, is he had done something to himself of a permanent nature that had a negative impact on his ministry. Now, you know, a lot of young people at that point, well, it's my body and blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I, I think you're better off going into ministry as a blank canvas um, to cause not to offend. I mean, if it's possible that, you know, gauging your ears or, you know, tatting yourself up 
can hinder your ministry, why not not do that so that God can use you? You know, Paul said, I became all, all things to all men that I might win some. I, th- I think that's in the same spirit of what's being talked about here in, in Acts chapter number 15. Don't do anything that would cause the weaker brother. Sure, I mean, you're strong. I mean, you're, you, feel, you feel good with your tattoos. You know, well, that, that's great. But understand, your freedom, your liberty is going to cause somebody else to stumble. And we need to be careful. I don't think it's any different than this. So I tell the young people, especially those who are going into ministry, be a blank canvas. I mean, don't do anything. Don't wear anything um, that would cause a stone of stumbling in front of others and therefore limit your ability to reach them for Christ. So again, these things were not salvific, but they were deemed necessary that the ministry could continue. And then notice in verse 30, So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read it, they rejoiced for the consolation. So upon sharing this letter with the church at Antioch, they were relieved that they were not being asked to place themselves under the law. Uh, and I'm sure the guys felt probably a little more strong about that <laughs> because of the issue of circumcision. Um, and that might be fine for a, a newborn baby, but not a grown man. So in conclusion, the outcome is that both the kingdom and the grace believers were confirmed. And Paul, uh, in Galatians 2, 7, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto Peter. Obviously, two different gospels, or the Paul would not have said that to the Galatians. But the thing is that both, um, both of the believers, everyone was confirmed. It brought consolation. There was agreement. So. I believe that is my time. I tried to use a countdown clock, but pff, didn't look to me like it was moving. Uh, but um, anyway, Scott, it's good to see you, my brother. I hope that you have an awesome day. Uh, my son is coming into town today. He's flying in, picking him up at the airport at 3 o'clock, going to spend the weekend with him. And uh, so um, I think I'm going to have a good weekend. I hope you do too. And um, it's Sunday morning, 9 o'clock. Uh, we'll get together and we'll uh, go through everything. We we don't have a lot left in chapter number 15, but when you're taking it 15, 20 minutes at a time, it does tend to drag out just a little bit. So next time we're together, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Judas and Silas being prophets also themselves. So we'll talk a little bit about prophets. So God bless you. Hope you have a great day. Until next time.